Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John McComb. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. We are excited to be joined tonight uh, by two-thirds of the editors-in-chief of the great Northwestern site Inside NU, uh, Bradley Locker and David Gold. Thank you so much for taking the time to jump on with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I think it's my second appearance on the pod, which I feel like is uh, a pretty yeah. revered territory to be in. So oh, I'm but, grateful for that opportunity. Oh, but who's counting? Look at you! Look <laughs> at you, big big boying David already. Amazing. Hey, pod, pod newbie, you know, not as good as Bradley inside sources locker, but we'll get there eventually. <laughs> we should mention the third. I, I feel like yeah, like the missing man here, Iggy Dowling, the other EIC. I think. David was just barely promoted to EIC and he's already bodying Iggy right out of the way here. Like this is, this is definitely a power play. Shout out Iggy for getting his internship already. The man's working. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got to grind before, before we hit the road to Nebraska this weekend. That's for sure. Yeah. And Nebraska coming up this weekend. Uh, definitely want to get into that, but just right off the top, um, we'd love to kind of get your thoughts on, on the season so far. I mean, we're, we're watching from afar. Um, and you guys are like right in the middle of things. And I know we've, John and I have seen you guys at tailgates before, after games, you know, been been managed to like say hi and, and kind of get your thoughts a little bit you know, here and there. But uh, I mean, in, in a season, that's just been so bizarre, even from the get go, like four and, or three and three coming out of the bye week. I, I'm already giving us the fourth win. I don't know why I'm doing that. Don't put the cart before the horse. But, you know, three and three coming out of the bye week is more than any of us expected. Is that kind of the sense there on campus, too? Yeah, I would. I can start off. I, I would say definitely. I think student sentiment around the program is kind of what it's been the last few years, which is if there's a home game on campus, students will definitely attend it. Uh, the Penn State game was was definitely pretty packed, even if students showed up a little late because it was an 11 a.m. kick. And I think Howard was pretty solidly attended as well. I think there's definitely a positive momentum among students toward the program thinking, okay, well, at least this team is not going to be totally embarrassed and run off the field on any given Saturday, which had kind of been the development of the last two years. Um, so I think people are definitely staying later at games, but at the same time, I think it would be um, dishonest. I said that students are consciously thinking about Northwestern football and thinking about as we are on the media side, Oh, this is this permutation of the schedule. This is what Northwestern needs to do better. I still think people are probably more excited about um, Northwestern basketball that's coming up, even the volleyball team and, and the events that and the chances to attend those events to accrue points for basketball. So I think on the, from the student perspective, it's probably about what event is coming up most, most uh, recently. And, but I, I do think there that students would probably feel more positively about football than in the last two years, at the very least. Yeah. I mean, it's cliche, but winning carries all this Northwestern team has shown up at home has won two has won three out of four games at home, only losing to the number six team in the country. So Northwestern students and Northwestern fans, I think are just more happy to be there. It's better than watching your team get blown out by 35 points on a way going one and 11 on homecoming last year. So yes, there's a lot of stuff and we, it would be hard for us to gloss over everything that happened in the off season with the, um, the scandal that happened over the summer. But at the end of the day, students want to see Northwestern win. They want to see competitive games. So, yeah, I think men's basketball is still definitely the one that everyone's waiting on. But I think student sentiment around football is probably better than it was 365 days ago. 
Is there anything that the, the program or the athletic department is doing differently compared to the past two years? Or is this just simply a case of the defense isn't a total train wreck and the team is playing a little bit better as a result? And that, like you, like you said, David, winning cures all. Yeah, I don't think athletics is doing anything different. I mean, for Northwestern's new point system, football is worth three points. Whether that Whether or not that's driving people to the game, I couldn't tell you. But when I first came to Northwestern last year as a transfer, everyone's horror stories was the first game they ever went to as a Northwestern student was Kenneth Walker going 75 yards on the first play. Yeah, that one's stunned. I do think it is just people winning. I think it's Northwestern playing better football. It's a quarterback who looks competent back in the backfield in Ben Bryant. It's a defense that's getting off the field at times. It's a run game that looks efficient, especially against UTEP when students were just sort of making their way to campus. So I think it's a combination of those things. But people want to watch good football. People want to watch competitive football. No one wants to sit there, especially as we enter these later months of the season when it's cold. No one wants to sit in four-degree weather at 11 a.m. kickoff to watch Northwestern lose by 25, 30 points. Yeah, I agree with David. I don't don't know if Northwestern Athletics has done anything that's been radically different. I guess I would say from a marketing standpoint it seems like northwestern football is trying to create more graphics from david braun to really sell the image of david braun with his best quote of the week or a really uplifting quote toward the community and i think braun has made a pretty conscious effort to try to engage with the fan base to, to tell students we really need your guys to support and it's not as if pat Fitzgerald didn't do that but i think students got tired of hearing that same message over and over again and thinking well why should we reward you with our attendance if you're going to go out and, and get destroyed on a weekly basis so i think it's it's kind of the pairing of braun being delivered with that and athletics definitely not shying away from from selling braun as someone who has in a lot of ways been a really positive force for the program it's really interesting to get you guys perspective <clears throat> It's it's really useful to take that temperature and then take it relative to basketball, for example, because I think it really does. We get so used to we and I know you guys do as well, which is why we love you guys, which is just getting so deep in the weeds and so granular on individual things and then zooming out and being like, yeah, this team is three and three right now. And for us, it's like, yeah, that's ahead of expectations or it's, um, you know, we can see eye test and stats that and record that this team's a little bit ahead of where we thought, but it is true. It's like not totally happening in a vacuum. Like if you look at basketball and this thing that happened with basketball, where it wasn't just about wins, it wasn't just about the magic of the team and the excellence. It was this social magic that happened within that building and everyone coming in. And it's like, you do have a litmus test now where you have that compared to this, this whole situation. And it's interesting to provide that perspective to be like, right. I think a lot of us are like, this team's better than we thought, but be like, yeah, for a fan base that now has a basketball team expecting to win on every single night against, you know, the vast majority of competition in front of a raucous environment, that is something that they are going to measure it against. Do you want to port it over? Um, I, I bring all that up because like, Again, one of the things that we want to do with you guys is, again, we know you guys get deep in the weeds. Bradley, like this is something we've known about you since even before you were a freshman at Northwestern. Like you're a tape guy. You're like a stats guy. Like you're. Oh, Dave and I are very much tape guys. I feel like <laughs> yeah. a, a good a good portion of our text is just me watching tape and asking David with his coaching and playing background, is, is this what I think actually happened on tape here? 
if, right. If so that's a lot like our group text too. If you go through our text chain, it's just Bradley asking me, is this wham or duo or trap? It's three text. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which again, man. when you guys are, are at that level, right? Like, again, like we're so these things that the, again, the average Northwestern student who's like, yeah, I will care if there's a chance this team gets to six wins, seven wins or beyond. And then there's us being like, no, don't you understand? It's three and it could have been two and 10 and et cetera. So at that level, I guess, Bradley, start with you as someone who's looking at this so deep in the weeds. Is there any one thing in particular that you were not expecting? on either position group or either side or an approach or just like something that has individually surprised you about this team. I guess I would say the play of the receiving core has definitely been a positive development for me. I think going into the year, we knew it was going to be a group with a lot of questions to answer. I mean, losing Malik Washington, even Donnie Navarro um, and it's Northwestern has not really had a ton of consistent proven success, especially at outside perimeter receiver because Washington played primarily in the slot and hats off to Malik for the season he's having um, when, with Virginia. I think he's a Blednikoff award nominee uh, with, with how well he's produced. So great job to him, but Northwestern definitely misses him. And I thought Northwestern missed him in a lot of ways, but I think the work of Armand Bins as a group has, has really been productive. I think on pound the talk, our, our inside a new podcast last week, we named our midseason MVP and I went with cam Johnson just because of kind of how reliable he's been for Ben Bryant or Brendan Sullivan to move the chains on third down, pick up big catches, some tough uh, runs after the catch. And the way that Bryce Kurtz has definitely emerged. Of course, a, a lot of that production came in one game against Minnesota, but he's the second leading receiver, has over 300 yards for the first time in his career. And I definitely want to see more out of A.J. Henning. Uh, I think Northwestern is still trying to figure out the best balance between using him in the pass game and the run game in the slot. Um, so I, I think that's one of the biggest storylines for the second half of the season. But I feel like Northwestern has at least three receivers that it, it's not as if Oh, if you take one of them away, you have no other viable receiving threats for a defensive perspective. And I think that's something that I, I definitely want to see how it plays out for the rest of the season, especially if Ben Bryant is healthy and, and can get the ball to those receivers with some time. Yeah, I think Brad hit on the head. Um, the receiving group's been really good. I actually think the tight end group has performed better than I expected. I've been really impressed with Charlie Mangieri um, throughout this year, especially in the run blocking game. He wasn't someone I had on my radar, but he's really good at coming across the formation in these split zone concepts and kicking out that outside defender, which is not easy to do. But I think for me, after watching so much Northwestern quarterback play last year, um, Ben Bryan has really just been nice to watch. And no, it's never, it hasn't always been pretty. That opening week again, weekend against Rutgers was, was bad. It was bad football from Bryan. But there's just a calmness back there. And you can actually watch, if you go back and watch the tape, him go through his progression and find the open receiver. And it's nice seeing someone step up in the pocket, feel the pressure, and get rid of the ball instead of bailing wide and trying to make a play that isn't there to begin with. So I think for me, it's just seeing a veteran quarterback go through the correct technique and fundamentals of playing quarterback that makes me feel more confident Northwestern than I poss than I have in prior years. Or one year, I guess. I haven't been here that long. So because you guys both picked offensive uh, positions to answer John's question, I've got to follow up with with a question about the Bajakian of it all. Um, are you are you seeing improvement from the way Jake is operating the scheme, or is this the same stuff that Northwestern has been trying to do for the last three years, 
just with a better set of players, namely Bryant and Henning coming in and then some improvement, like you mentioned, from Angieri, et cetera. I think I would lean toward the latter of that, which is I think Bajakian had his positive moments. Even in the last few years, he had some nifty trick plays and designs. But the problem is Northwestern could never get anything going on offense and had no rhythm because really of quarterback play and um, not only decision making, but turning over the ball, um, creating pressures among the quarterback. And I feel like, as David talked about with with Ben Bryant, I think Mike Bajakian finally has a quarterback that can at least execute some basic concepts. And we saw last week against Howard. Brendan Sullivan was really not able to do much through the air whatsoever. And, and David uh, explicated that pretty well on InsideNU.com on Sullivan's sling. So um, I think Bajakian still has, of course, plenty of limitations. His offense has, has gone quiet for a lot of portions of the year, especially in the first half of games has been a struggle. And against or with Sullivan back there last week, it felt like everything was building off of the zone read, whether it was somebody coming in motion in front of, Sullivan, it wasn't a lot of deception for defenses, but I feel like also Bajakian has called some definitely solid games when he's had the chance against UTEP, I think was a, probably one of the best game plans that I've seen from him in his time at Northwestern. I think the Minnesota second half, he basically just tried to air the ball out as much as possible and trusted Brandon Bryant to execute those concepts. And then, of course, have there been lots of down moments when Northwestern was just outmatched against a Duke defense or a Penn State defense? But I don't really know if I can blame Bajakian much for that one because the talent gap is just so great. So it's probably much of the same Bajakian. Maybe I think it, it's just a little more positive regression because of the players he has now. Yeah, I mean, I actually thought Bajakian called a pretty good game against Penn State, but the Nittany Lions were just way were just more talented than Northwestern. But I think it's more towards the latter as well because Northwestern's run game still is is still slow. And yeah, you have what four new offensive linemen this season, but this run game just hasn't found its rhythm. It's a lot of still these runs up the A gap, which is good because Cam Porter is a downhill back, but Porter loves to try to go east to west sometimes. Porter, for me, needs to start getting downhill quicker, but that also is if linebackers stop plugging the A-gaps more often. Porter only averages 50 yards a game. Sullivan averages 20 yards a game rushing. It's just from, what, two, two a game and a half as a starter and then two, two mop-up duties in the end of the fourth quarter. So there's still a lot to get going on this offense. The offensive line still finding its way, which hopefully they can figure some stuff out here in the second half of the season. But I don't know. I would like to see a little bit more of Joseph Hyman coming into the second half of the season. I think his change of pace, just his explosivity through the line of scrimmage is something that's just been underutilized this year. Injuries have seemed to be an issue all season. And, you know, obviously with uh, Bryant on the shelf a little bit, you know, we heard in uh, Braun's press conference today, he's still uh, questionable potentially for this weekend against Nebraska. I mean, Bryant aside, like how has, how has injuries been affecting the team? And like, uh, you know, we've been talking so much this season about how great it is to see just as many guys as we've seen, like rotating in and out. So, you know, is depth now not necessarily the biggest weakness on the team as it used to be? I mean, yeah, from my perspective, I don't necessarily know that injuries have been super catastrophic to this Northwestern team. I mean, keeping the same starting five offensive linemen um, is pretty solid throughout much of the season. None of those players have suffered injuries. Uh, of course, the change was made at right tackle which with, with Zach Franks getting subbed out for Josh Thompson. And even defensively, too, I feel like almost all of Northwestern starters have played virtually every game, minus Theron Johnson missing that one against uh, Minnesota, I believe it was. 
I think, you know, I'm sorry, Penn State with the um, a quad injury. So for the most part, I feel like Northwestern has been able to do what it's wanted because of the lack of injuries. Richie Haggerty did go down and, and players like Marshall Lang, Frank Covey, the fourth, um, those players being out has definitely not been positive, but compared to some of the other teams around the Big Ten, which in the West in particular, uh, with Iowa, Wisconsin, losing starting quarterbacks, I feel like Northwestern has been pretty comfortable especially with the durability of Bryant, who has taken some wicked shots this year. And we saw that at Cincinnati, too. He he really just has a toughness about him and an ability to withstand some of those shots and keep going. And I feel like Bryant is a player who he, he you have to tell him to get off the field because he just wants to be out there so much. So overall, I feel like it's been pretty solid on the injury front. But I want to hear what obviously you guys and David have to say, too, about that. So you well, you specifically talked about the offensive line, right? Like <clears throat> lack of injuries on the offensive line, right? And the fact that it was an absolute. Just, every, just, everybody for my, for just for my, everybody furiously knock on wood right now, please. Just yeah, for, right, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Off- offensive. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, well warranted. Um, but relative to last season, furiously knocking wood, right? There was, there were multiple rotations. There were a bunch of issues in the, with O-line, for example, that hasn't been the case so far. And I only bring that up to get it kind of a larger thing that I wanted to get both of your guys' perspective on. Because obviously, we're at this midway point. We're kind of doing this long-term evaluation and, and looking, all right, so let's take the lay of the land before we look at the second half of the year. And one of the things that I find myself that I was doing in the context of doing that was pulling up all of the stats. Um, basically, the Big Ten statistical rankings through um, six games and it stings the nostrils. I mean, when you look at some of these rankings and, and I mean, you've got, for example, like if we look at rush offense, Northwestern's last in the conference in rush offense, last in the conference in rush defense. We are second to last in the conference in sacks given up behind only ill ahead of only Illinois and last in the conference in sacks. And I bring all those things up because I think, I mean, I, I'm sort of speaking for Scuzz and Sam here, but I think they would agree that relative to last season, we would look at all of those statistical rankings this season and be like, yeah, but where like we would be like, yeah, but we have seen time X and time Y when things worked and we have this feeling of potential that we didn't have last year. But I'm curious for for either of you guys, um, if you feel the same way or if you're thinking, no, it is more of the same and the stats just just reaffirm that or if you're thinking no no like there's a difference or if to the to the extent you guys are or are not yeah budding this situation the way that we are brad i got one for you penn state um when they played northwestern had 48 pressures in one game brad how many pressures did northwestern have after week five I believe it was either 50 or 48 but it penn state basically totaled the entire pressure data in, in one game for northwestern so wow that is what we call not great. Um, but in all honesty, I think last year's numbers are worse because Northwestern was more talented up front on both ends. Like, that was the truth. Northwestern last year had a bunch of veteran guys, fifth, six-year guys playing up front, and they should have been better than they were. This is a young group, especially at the tackle position, have two tackles who have never really played at the level before. Ben Rather took... I think less than 20 snaps at center last year because Charlie Schmidt was just an Ironman out there. And so that doesn't really phase me as much. This group is still young. They're still learning 
And same on the defensive side. You have guys like Anto Saka trying to become more than the situational pass rusher. Jalen Pay, um, even Richie Haggerty. Like, you're putting a lot of faith in guys who have not played Big Ten football before. So I think I probably am, yeah, budding this year more than I was last year just because there is a talent drop-off than what we saw in 2022. I think that's a really fair point from David, but I feel like, I'm, John, I'm kind of with you where when I take a macro evaluation of the stats and try to think, all right, well, how has Northwestern actually made a lot of progress? The numbers don't really totally indicate that that's happened. The, the, the team really has struggled to do some significant things on defense regarding pressuring the quarterback and taking the ball away. I think Northwestern's defense has forced really, or Northwestern has four uh, forced takeaways all season on defense that have not come in actual garbage time. I, I believe that is a correct stat. Three interceptions and one fumble recovery uh, in six games, which is that's a pretty alarming number considering David Braun stressed in the spring that, that, that that's something that he wanted to prioritize, taking the ball away and sacking the quarterback. And, of course, his personnel is definitely limited with the defensive line that I think we would all agree has outplayed our very low expectations entering the season. The development of PJ Spencer, Carmen Bastone, Richie Haggerty, Jalen Pate has definitely been a positive development under under Christian Smith. Um, but it's still though that the lack of pressure on the quarterback and lack of taking the ball away has not really changed much from the last two years under Jim O'Neill. Northwestern is still not really preventing defenses from scoring a ton, allowing 27.3 points per game. Last year was 28.3. I mean, that mark is still not going to give you much of a chance to win a football game when you're allowing almost four touchdowns a game. The offensive production has jumped a little bit from 13.8 points a game to 22, but that 22 mark is still 110th in the FBS. So I think it's clear that this team still has a long ways to go, even if Ron uh, does stay for next year. But if you're Derek Gregg or someone in the athletic administration, just binarily comparing stats and going, all right, well, how does this year compare to last year? You're not going to see a ton of positive growth there, um, which is something that I feel like is a little alarming. But I think I test wise, I would agree with you that this team definitely has a bit more resilience to it, a bit more spunk to it and a bit more uh, composure to it overall. Yeah, two of those turnovers were on special teams. Um, Nick Singleton fumbled on the opening and the muff punt against Rutgers. Northwestern only has forced two turnover, two turnovers defensively, and those were the interceptions by Gallagher and Mueller week two. So it's been now, what, four weeks since the Northwestern defense has forced a turnover? That is that is definitely a departure from years past. I think like the, the thing that the thing that I have been fixated on, and and this this could just be this could just be my bias um, in 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 recency or whatever, but I just I feel like I see a more whether or not the play to your to to the to the to the points you guys are making, especially about the lines and the talent vis-a-vis last year, et cetera, what you would have expected to get this year, et cetera. Defense still giving up, you know plenty of points a game, et cetera. I, I feel like I see more, I don't want to say intelligent, but like critical and obvious changes in, in strategy or, or, or attempts at changes in strategy during the course of a game. And I'm, I'm curious if that tracks from like, I'm, I'm looking at that from a, it's a, it's a very like fan perspective. Um, when you guys are digging into the tape, are you seeing that objectively as well? I guess I'll, I'll let David start on this one because I feel like he's earnestly ground more of the tape than I have, David. 
Well, that's because Brad's always watching Matt Canada tape. You poor, poor soul. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, I think that the more I watch David Braun in this defense, the more impressed I get with him because he's clearly making adjustments throughout the game that are working. And I've listened to you guys talk about a lot this season. There have been multiple second halves now where David Braun has just outcoached the, the opponents. And I think Minnesota is a great example of it. That defense looked dead in the water at the beginning and then just figured it out. Um, UTEP, another one, just... I think you can see the improvements each and every play. And also, if you look at the Howard game, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter, like, Braun was doing some things. When I, after you guys talked about it, I went back and watched the tape. Yeah, it is clear that he is doing some things that he would not do against the Big Ten opponent. Mm -hmm. So I think the Howard game needs to be taken with a grain of salt. Um, but yeah, I think there have been significant improvements. In just terms of schematics, it looks like players are in better positions to make plays. Now, and Brad, this is Brad's... Real point here. The tackling is bad. There are too many missed tackles each game. But from a pure schematic standpoint, Braun is putting the players in position to execute. Which feels I like think... it was a, a huge miss the last two years from, from my eye on the defense where guys seemed just confused and not in the right place. And then even if they were in the right place, it wasn't it wasn't the right setup. Like we've, we've achieved a level of, um, I hate to put it this way, but like, basic competence that was missing the last couple of years. And that doesn't, that doesn't solve all ills, but it, it puts us back in a place where we can start to build and grow. No, I think that's very valid. And I would agree with that. And kind of, as you guys have mentioned that this defense in particular, I think some of the clutch tackling has been really impressive. I just go back to the Xander Mueller and the, the plays he made against Minnesota, stopping Darius Taylor, who has been basically a freshman, all American so far for the Gophers when he's been healthy. And some of those, those insane time plays that he made just flying downhill in the run game and making stops. And we've seen that from Coco Osmo, Rod Hurd, the second Devin Turner for most of the season. And I think that's been for sure a good thing to see. Um, I don't know that Braun has really done a lot. That's been complicated schematically from my perspective. It's basically just him trotting out a four two five defense. Maybe, I mean, Northwestern had been in a four three with, with Jim O'Neill and Braun kind of indicated as much that he wasn't going to change the basic structure, but we're not really seeing a ton of confusion or rotated coverages as much as I maybe would like to see. And David, you can maybe add more having studied more of the tape and more on a play-by-play -play basis, but it doesn't seem like Northwestern is trying to challenge an offense and say, we're this quarterback is, or we're going to show him one safety before the snap rotates somebody, uh, two guys back there afterward. I think it's more, players have have more trust in the system and understand, all right, this is my role. I need to execute this role. Whereas in past regimes, I think there was maybe a little too much on their plates. Looking ahead to the, the second half of the season, I mean, a lot of the teams we're running into seem somewhat offensively challenged. And that might be putting it mildly. <laughs> Iowa. An understatement. Um, <laughs> but, you know, how much of what we've seen developing in this first half do you see as a potential to really like crank it up to the next level? Um, you know, we, you know, we're looking at Nebraska's backup quarterback. We're looking at Iowa's backup quarterback. If you can even call him a quarterback, uh, which I'm not convinced that he is. 37 passing um, can, yards and a win. <laughs> yeah, God, I exactly. love Iowa football. 28% <laughs> completion. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tanner Mordecai out uh, with a uh, hand injury um you know illinois is what illinois is so 
and and you know Purdue, who knows what to make of Purdue on a week to week basis. But like, how much can we take from the first half of the season and like crank it up in in these upcoming weeks? I think I, I know I know I'm forgetting about Maryland, but I'm I'm not forgetting about Maryland. That's not what I'm worried about at this point. Yeah. Talia is what Talia is. Maryland Maryland will probably give Northwestern some Halloween ghouls um, this year. Um, but all I want to say is in the last hurrah, last hurrah of the Big Ten West, we're going out with the most ultimate Big Ten West of all time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is where Northwestern can really start to make to make some headwaves. This is the schedule. Looking at it is is a chance for Northwestern to figure it out. And I know everyone always says, you just have to score 10 points against Iowa and you'll win. But that's a lot harder said than done. Um, but against these backup quarterbacks, this is where Northwestern can really unleash it, make them feel uncomfortable, bring some blitzes, get Xander Mueller on these twist stunts. I think it was Scuzz who was talking about it last, last episode. Xander Mueller is getting to the quarterback at a high clip when they confuse him and give him a free rush. It is... I was very impressed watching back Mueller against Howard because when he's getting after the quarterback, these quarterbacks feel uncomfortable. So I want to see Northwestern dialed up and put pressure on these backup quarterbacks to beat them through the air. Load the box, play seven, play eight, and make these teams just air the ball out and trust your secondary. I think that the secondary has really been the strength of this Northwestern defense. Devin Turner is probably my player of the year so far just because of how much he's grown. Um but also Garnett Hollis Jr. and Theron Johnson, I thought, played really good football as well. So I think that's Northwestern's game plan for the rest of the season. It's just you got to make these backup quarterbacks beat you through the air. I agree with that. I think on that note of of adding more creativity defensively, I think especially trying to blitz is a really good idea for David Braun and the Wildcats in the second half of the year um, because you can create confusion off of the left side, the right side mugging the linebackers who's going to come who's going to drop and i think we see it at really all levels of football it's, a, it's an effective strategy and uh when you have backup quarterbacks like deacon hill or Braden Locke for wisconsin or harburg for nebraska these guys are not really accustomed to seeing those looks in an actual game uh, atmosphere and environment rather than going against your scout team or, or your own defense and practice where it's okay if you make a mistake per se and i think it's especially the case because northwestern as i mentioned just has really not gotten to the quarterback at anywhere close to uh, a solid clip. Richie Haggerty is the leader in pressures with 11 in six games. And I believe I want to say three or four of them came against Howard. So a third of those of the team's top edge rusher, if you will, uh, not that production against an FCS opponent. So Northwestern is not really getting home with sending four or five edge rushers, despite kind of rotating a lot of guys in even Anto Saka on third downs has definitely been a bright spot, but um, not really all the way there consistency-wise. So I think blitzing defensively, a guy like Rod Hurd or Devin Turner or Coco Osmo, we know how physical they can be. They're not afraid to, to lay the boom on somebody. So I think that's a good idea moving forward. De- when I, Deacon Hill in particular, I think Deacon Hill is just, it's like Steph Curry. When Steph Curry came in, changed the pro game, and then all the high school kids were shooting threes, look, tush push, brotherly shove, this is just Deacon Hill is the evolutionary future of the quarterback position. It's just <laughs> going to be, you take a 275 pound guy and you just quarterback sneak on every play. That's where we're, that's where we're headed. Um, <laughs> John, you know, if you, uh, 
in in uh, NCAA 12, if you uh, <laughs> yeah. if you run a QB draw with Kunle Patrick every play, you can average eight <laughs> yards per run. Exactly. See, this is what I'm saying. It's just it's just a different kind of video game football. Um, but so with all this, I think specifically looking at Nebraska, I think the. It, when I woke up this morning, I was envisioning that we were only going to be talking about what I'm about to bring up relative to Nebraska. And that was before the whole quarterback piece of this, which we can get to in a second. But you talk about the like third down, the lack of being able to get to a quarterback on third down. When it comes to Nebraska historically, and certainly Nebraska this year, if we're getting to third down, I'm going to be happy because Nebraska historically does the thing that I swear to God over the past five years, if not longer, tends to crush Northwestern worse than anything, which is read option football based on a ton of misdirection with a running back and a quarterback who both want to get upfield. And it's funny. It's like looking at Henrik Harburg, like this guy, he's a lightly recruited guy. He's done nothing on film to make me think otherwise, but it's the type of quarterback that he is. He's a type of quarterback who wants to play read option football and he wants to make that mesh. He's good at it. He's good at hiding the football. He's good at making you think. Um, and I'm curious for, for either of you, but maybe David, because you were talking about the film, like what you think Northwestern's prospects are based on what you've seen from Northwestern and what you've seen from Nebraska this season of stopping that read option look because it feels like Nebraska is going to try to do that every single play of this football game. Yeah. I mean, we asked David Braun about that today. Um, and he was like, we play read option quarterbacks already this year. And we got to get 11 hats to the football against Harvard to keep them contained. My concern is just Northwestern really struggles against mobile quarterbacks. And it's because of that lack of pressure that when they do get the pressure, that quarterback's able to escape because Northwestern only brings four and drops seven. So I, I don't know. Harburg, as every, as every college football sicko like myself and Bradley probably did, watch that Illinois versus Nebraska game a few weeks ago. Oh, what ago. a game that was. <laughs> oh it's a Friday night none of us will ever get back. <laughs> Shout out Bad 17 for making that night a little bit more passable. Um, and shout out to Bud Light for that too, but... Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think that Northwestern's got to just almost keep a spy in there. I don't know if they will. But if you're Northwestern, you you got to just assume that your two mill linebackers who are best in run support will be able to take care of the running back in zone read and just tell your outside edge, whether that's Haggerty, um, Jalen Pei, um, even Saka if he's in there on a few running downs, just you have to set the edge now and play the quarterback. Let let the other 10 guys inside funneled in and just make sure that quarterback cannot beat you to the edge. Northwestern has struggled to contain at times against quarterbacks. So I just want to see that edge get set and force force Nebraska to go the, and abandon the run game early because I think that's going to be the biggest difference maker. If Nebraska is able to run the ball all day, Northwestern has no chance in this game. Well, you, you referenced uh, Northwestern going up against other mobile quarterbacks, and I think like – Obviously, Riley Leonard tops that list for what Northwestern has seen this year. The big difference between Riley Leonard and Heinrich Hardberg is about 10% in completion percentage. So your strategy makes all the sense of the world to me. 
Yeah, and I was going to bring up the element of how Northwestern has fared against mobile quarterbacks this year. And, of course, Leonard just, just eight against Northwestern on the ground, 13 carries, 97 yards, two touchdowns. And it felt like even when they were in Northwestern, defenders in the vicinity to bring him down, they were not able to do so on multiple occasions. And, of course, that's what makes Leonard a really appealing prospect and probably a first-rounder, assuming his his angle is good to go toward the end of the season. Really hope it is because I personally love watching him play. But even against Minnesota, hey, I, I know— if, if, if Daniel Jones can be a first-rounder— yeah. Yeah, it's true. But no, I mean, David and I were on the call for that Minnesota game. And Ethan Caliagmanis is not really known to be a very mobile guy, but even he had some pretty big scoots in that one because of just miscommunication for the Northwestern defense, bad leverage, bad angles, missed tackles. I mean, he literally hurdled Devin Turner, who David said maybe Northwestern's best defender, second best defender this season. So uh, it's, it's about, and Braun would say this too, but I think Northwestern's defense needs to just just be aware of the threat of the run and, and not only be aware of it, but um, actually be able to make a stop in the hole or or force runs back inside, set the edge. Just basic fundamentals of playing defense against the run, which have been a problem for most of the season, at least on a down to down basis. What do you what do you make of David Braun moving forward? I mean, you we see these quotes, you know, talking about when what he's t- telling recruits, whether I'm here or not, you got to come here anyway. But like, ha, you know, there's rumblings that you know he might be the guy long term. I you know, are they talking? Are they not talking? Like, what what are you guys hearing? I think to the extent that we're hearing, I mean, we had the chance to talk to uh, Dr. Gregg last. I think it was two yeah two weeks ago. And um, I mean, he indicated to us that he has spoken to David Braun about potentially dropping the interim tag and what the future could look like. But he also said that the Northwestern will hire a search firm um, to determine the best possible prospect of finding a new football head coach. And just based on how Greg has tended to operate and knowing that there's a lot of pressure on him to get this hire correct, we saw with Northwestern baseball and the players and sources that I talked to were pretty adamant that Northwestern baseball needed to hire Brian Anderson, the guy who was leading the program in the interim after Jim Foster was indefinitely suspended. Um, and Greg still said he still opted not to do that and went out and got a really good hire in Ben Greenspan very late in the cycle. And I think Greg knows he's at a power five institution with a lot of money and resources invested in it. And that if Northwestern football wants to totally overhaul its image and perception and actually start to be competitive on a year in year out basis in a, in a big time that's always loaded, but will especially be more so after uh, Oregon, Washington, UCLA, USC are added. For that, for those reasons, I would still lean toward Greg hiring somebody outside unless David Braun is able to eke out at least five wins. I think five wins is is the demarcation where Braun could really start to have a legitimate case to be the guy moving forward. I think David and I would agree, and you guys probably agree, he's really easy to root for. He's a very personable guy. He speaks from the heart. Uh, he's, he's very driven to lead this team forward. And the players have definitely gravitated toward him. I, I think I always go back to the quote that Coco Ozma gave, uh, talking about how Braun was immediately supporting Ozma after the death of his, I think it was his brother, and, and Braun um, was really candid about that. And players have talked since since Braun was hired in July as the full-time guy about how he always made an effort to get to know them. And that obviously goes a long way in building camaraderie and trust with the players, which is critical at this juncture and where Northwestern is as a program. But I think that it's going to be an uphill battle for Northwestern to get to the, that five, six win mark and try to compete for a bowl game. 
And just based on Greg's tendencies, I feel like it's more likely that that Braun maybe stays as a defense coordinator if the new head coach wants him to. So with all of that talk about defense and about David Braun and everything, the elephant in the room, the elephant that ran into the room today, we're recording this on Monday, um, is the fact that we all just kind of had assumed, not 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 just because we had, but because it seemed to have been kind of implied by previous things David Braun had said, that Ben Bryant was going to be going this Saturday. And he still may, but that's a question mark for sure. And in in a, in based on the way the Howard game went down and suddenly this being thrown in and Ryan Holinsky's performance last year, I realized to my own shock today that if I was made to bet right now and I'd be like, you can only pick one Northwestern quarterback and you have to choose that Northwestern quarterback based on your belief that that quarterback will play at least one snap in this game at quarterback that I would 100% choose Jack Lausch as my choice <laughs> because he's the only guy where I feel like I know he's going to play like one play at quarterback and it, the rest is really unsettled. Um, but I'm curious your guys' perspective. Like if, if it's not Ben Bryant, who do you want to see and who do you think it'll be? Yeah, I, I still think it'll be Bryant. I think it was gamesmanship from Braun. I really do. I really think Braun knows that everyone thought it was going to be Bryant, so now he's going to make Matt Rule and that Nebraska defense for a second go, oh, well, if it is Brendan Sullivan. But I think at the end of the day, Braun told us two weeks ago that he didn't think it was going to be a long-term injury. He said after Howard he expected him to go. I'd be really surprised if this wasn't just some gamesmanship by Braun. Um but if it can't be Bryant, I'm going to be honest, I would rather see Ryan Holinsky or Jack Lausch than Brendan Sullivan. I would rather see Ryan Holinsky. I think the way this offense has operated is working best when someone's from the pocket and is able to deliver the ball from the pocket. And Brendan Sullivan against Howard just didn't do that at all. Like it was act- I when I went back and watched the tape, the amount of times he went one read and started to run when there was a clean pocket. Five on five, the offensive line picks up, and he's running out of there. And it's just one of those frustrating things where there is time to stay in the pocket, there is time to deliver the ball, but you cut yourself off to half the field instantly. So I want to see Kalinsky because I think he's the more pro-style quarterback that this offense has gotten used to under Ben Bryant. And that's, I think that's the difference is this offense tried to change their identity a little bit against Howard to make do with Sullivan's running. And I think that it's hard to change an offense midway through the season. I would say I'm in the camp with David that I think Brian ends up playing, but Braun's words today and specifically what he did not say and omitted was very revealing that he he started off the question from David saying AJ is practicing, Jack is practicing. And then he said, uh, Brian, he said Ben is progressing, which is not really what you want to hear if you're a Western fan. That implies that Brian is not practicing that he, for whatever reason, uh, and and Braun kind of indicated that the team would know more as the week would move along about his status. So it's not 
guarantee that he plays in this game, as you guys noted. And that's very alarming given the drop off that we've already seen this year between Ben Bryant and Brendan Sullivan. Unlike David, though, I think I would rather see Brendan Sullivan in this game. I still think he had some nice moments when he was a full fledged starting quarterback last year. We know he has a decent amount of arm talent. He can rip the ball pretty far. It's just about making more consistent reads, having better pocket presence and of course, playing in an environment like this with 80,000, 90,000 people roaring down at you, uh, operating maybe even a silent count, which is something Braun alluded to today. It's going to be a lot more pressure on someone like Sullivan than to do it at home against Ohio State um, or even at Iowa. And that Iowa game was pretty ugly in terms of uh, Sullivan's pocket mobility, too. But I feel like if you tried out Ryan Holinsky, yes, he was sensational against the Huskers last year. But and the more that I reflect on that game, the less and less it makes any logical sense what transpired uh, based on the last two to three years of Northwestern football. And I just don't really trust Ryan Holinsky to make correct reads, uh, throw the ball accurately. It's been a big, the, all of those have been have been staple problems for Holinsky really ever since he came to Northwestern. And to say, oh, just go out and, and Lincoln and play the game as you want to and as we expect you to where he probably has not been getting many reps as the starter with the starters in practice, unlike Sullivan, at least got some in training camp, does not feel like the best position to put yourself to win. I just want to say, so for everyone who's thinking un unsettled and unsure going into this weekend, just know that I asked a question to the two guys who, along with Matthew Shelton, have been in more Northwestern press conferences than anyone. And one of them said he thought Braun was obfuscating and he thought it would be Bryant but if not he wanted Halinski and the other one <laughs> said he didn't think Braun was doing that and if it wasn't he wanted Sullivan so super so Jack Lausch is what we're all saying <laughs> <laughs> I agree Lausch should get more offensive snaps I think he only has 20 on the season which was a surprisingly lo low number when I was checking the cumulative snap counts and I feel like this is a good game. You might as well see what you have in, in Jack Lausch, at least running-wise or receiving-wise. I, I mean, that double pass didn't look too great against Minnesota. Maybe more running-wise. I will just say, and this word may send a shiver down us and every one of your listeners' spine, what if the Cats break out the Wildcat again? Oh, no. Oh, no. no. Hard pass. No. Go away. Hard Go away. pass. I'm sorry, we brought you. Reaction. I'm sorry we brought you on. Iggy, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm you in. Oh, I'll, 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 I'll say banister. I'll say this like there's a way to do wildcat that's not obvious and predictable every play and it means a lot of jet action with AJ it means throwing the ball on occasion um I I can't fathom it being for for a whole game I guess the the other question I would ask is is there anything from Nebraska and that would that would tell us the way that you would want to go at them. I mean, like the, the most recent game we have is is Illinois, who stunningly abandoned the run against the Huskers. Um, I, I guess they got down 17 nothing, but still like totally abandoned the run, put everything on Luke Altmeyer. They, they Illinois does not have downfield threats. Altmeyer basically Nebraska just had to defend the 10 yards um, beyond the line of scrimmage and completely suffocated the Illini. Like, is there anything from Nebraska's defense that would inform your choice of quarterback? If, if Brent, if, if, if Ben Bryant wouldn't be able to go. 
I think to me, the the most impressive part of this Nebraska defense, and I've talked about it with David a lot and, and try to convince him that I don't think Northwestern is winning this game is probably the linebacking unit. And that's because they really struggled the first few weeks. Um, got blown out by a Colorado team that I think has severely, the hype outlived how good they actually were as a team. And Braun actually, I thought it was funny, Braun talked about Colorado's implosion um, on Friday against Stanford as a um, as a beacon to you need to play four play a complete four quarter game and close out games. But Ooh, shots fired, <laughs> ouch. Um, but I think that Nebraska these last few weeks they played two teams that they should beat. They beat they beat Louisiana Tech and then they went and beat a bad Illinois team. And Brad loves to make fun of me because I actually do think Northwestern gets to six and six and goes to a bowl game. Um, but this Nebraska team still has to prove to me that they can go win against a formidable offense. And I just haven't seen them do it yet. Are you implying that our offense is formidable? I have, I've watched a lot of Ben Bryan tape and I keep getting more and more encouraged. Don't ask. I was going to say, okay. if, if you're talking second half of Minnesota or second half of UTEP, Damn straight, our offense is formidable. Sure, sure. It's 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 this passing game, and it's Bryce Kurtz, it's Cam Johnson. Cam Johnson looks like a true wide receiver one, and I never thought I would say that, but he is just continues to surprise me. He makes these tough catches in traffic. Bryce Kurtz his, his route running has really improved from last year. Bryce Kurtz against Minnesota ran one of the nastiest post corner routes I've seen in a long time and shook the defender out of his boots. I this receiving group has made so much progress that. I actually am not afraid to let the offense sit back there and throw the ball 40 times. Now, if Brian can't go, it's a much different game. But Northwestern was so unbalanced against Howard, ran the ball 48 times that it became obvious to the Bison what they were trying to do. And they would load the box with seven and always bring five. And Sullivan struggled as soon as he felt someone coming. I don't know if it was John or Scuzz who was talking, Sam, and maybe even you, who was talking about it uh, last episode, but it really felt like as soon as Sullivan saw the blitz, he kind of just went to run right away. And that's the concerning part for me for this game. We probably didn't talk enough last week about um, A.J. Henning not playing, too, because to your point there about getting pretty— I mean, A.J. is the pivot player on offense, right, that that you can really use to disguise or deploy um, in in either facet of the game. And, and he just—he's going to force— he's going to force things on a defense that without him on the field just become much more um, pedestrian. So I, I like that's, that's a, that's a really well-taken point that, that this receiving court, they can do a lot more with all the players on the field. Like even, even if we don't get Bryant back, having, having the, um, the assurance from Braun that AJ is good to go is, is a pretty huge step forward from what we saw at homecoming. And even even having Lausch on the field, I think, helps because he's so dynamic in different ways. And even if, like, to me, the Northwestern Wildcat formation this year is when Lausch comes in at QB. But just because he's technically a QB list on the roster, teams have to think that maybe you will throw the ball. And it's just these these little wrinkles of this offense make me more, not energetic, but more okay with some of the things that, that they've pulled out, I think. Northwestern has really tried to add some wrinkles to confuse defenses. Not always work, but that's it's nice to see that it's not run run pass anymore. Much like the the changes on defense we were talking about earlier, like those wrinkles you're talking about are stitched together just more 
cohesively on the offensive side. And yeah, it doesn't always work, but the way they're trying things and, and the, and the things that they are trying, it, it, it just kind of makes intuitive sense. It definitely does. I think offensively, I'm still I'm still dying to see a deep ball to AJ Henning. We know he has just elite track speed. Yeah. <laughs> and he was he was so close to getting one against Rutgers. It's happened multiple times where Brian has overshot him. Even if a deep crossing route, something that just capitalizes on him being more quick and more athletic than the guy he's lined up against. I think is what Northwestern needs to try to do at some point in these next six games. It could be the last six that Henning plays as a wildcat. So if nothing else, I'm gonna hang my head on Mike Bajakin dialing up some type of deep pass to Asia Henning. I'm going to hang my hat on David being right about Ben Bryant, about, about <laughs> David Braun shining us on and that Bryant's going to play this weekend. But uh, I, but I know Sammy, you were, you had other, other directions that you wanted to take us. Cause we have, uh, I know there are other long-term things that uh, Northwestern's got going in the pot right now. Yeah. Um, the stadium, uh, the new stadium, plan obviously um good thing like it, it's hard to like from a distance obviously david you were in the room at the land use commission meetings and i you know first of all just want to hear some stories about that before we get into like what ended john, up happening these are all yours. god bless john lacombe for keeping me sane during these i i just want to say <laughs> let me insert right here uh david so David and Bradley. So neither of you have kids that we're aware of. We all have kids. And eventually in your life, you're going to have kids. You're going to be spending time with your kids and you're going to be like, oh man, every moment is precious. I just want to record the seconds. It's all precious. And when you reach that point, David, you're going to look back and you're going to be like, how did I ever flush 15 hours of my life down the toilet <laughs> at Evanston Land Use Commission meetings? Uh, but, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're already there. I think I'm. I think I'm already there. <laughs> I think so. I think that nothing will top some of these comments, these stories, and I don't even know what I can say on this pod, podcast because some of the things were absolutely insane. Yeah. The Giordano oh, delivery. There, there, there's no filter here. Oh we... my god. Yeah, give yeah. us the craziest take. Okay, so I have a top five. They're all pretty good. Oh yes, <laughs> top five. Shall we go? Shall we go fifth to first? Is that what we Please. want? Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. Okay. You've got him ranked. So, That's even so better. So number five, we're going to start with Northwestern indicating that Taylor Swift would not come to the new Ryan Field, but look out for Mumford and Sons. <laughs> That's a bunch of different genres being named throughout the night. We got to four. We got to a joint Foreigner Journey and oh, I don't even remember an Ario Speedwagon joint concert festival. That one was pretty good. Which then became a I don't remember the other ones, but these a bunch of genres got thrown out, which led to Andy Gold, my father, chiming in, going, "If they're taking requests, I'll take train." Which made me have to leave the room because I started to laugh so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think it was you guys who said that it was just Steve Martin and uh, Martin Short doing a podcast. That was also a good one. So props on that one. Um, number four was the woman who pulled out a Pinocchio doll to. Sh- to illustrate the lies Northwestern have been telling. That wow. was pretty good. Number th- number three was the guy who dropped a stack of 50 papers really slowly to um, illustrate the amount of emails he had sent Northwestern. The dramatic effect was wonderful. Number two, all right, the final two are phenomenal. Oh, number yeah. Number two is this guy who went half an hour 
with the amount of charts that would keep a Kinko's going for the next year. Oh my, what a performance this dude put on. He went 30 minutes, no breaks, and just went on an absolute, just phenomenal. I would hire him to be a motivational speaker. I was thoroughly impressed. He came prepared with charts and graphs. Really just, I was so impressed. And our number one by far is the former Giordano's pizza delivery guy who doesn't live in Evanston, warning that a new stadium would cause an increase of use of Molly, LSD, and acid. <laughs> and I think nothing will top a Giordano's delivery dude from 15 years ago who said that they shouldn't build restaurants because it would compete with Chicago's existing restaurants, hashtag Chicago's Big Ten School, um, and that it would lead to an increase of Molly usage. And I think that was beautiful. There did, was, he have, did he have evidence to cite? I'm just, I'm trying no, to put... No, I think he may have been on Molly. There was, there was... There was a moment in my life where I was sitting on my couch watching the Evanston Public Access YouTube feed, watching a guy at a land use commission talk about he not living in Evanston, but he used to deliver there when he worked for Giordano's. And that was a real evaluate the road of my life that led me to that moment. (laughs) I'm just very glad I did not attend any of these meetings. Very grateful for David sacrificing on behalf of really the entire the entire inside and you site. Uh, and there were many times where I told him, like, I promise you, you do not need to say these meetings for your own sanity. You do not have to still stay there. But he he was relentless. And uh, again, very appreciative of that. I will sure. mention to uh, the commissioner and the chairman for getting into it at the end of the vote. And the chairman yelling at the commissioner, you live in the city, George, you're going to hear the noise. And that was that was just a perfect way to wrap up the pure buffoonery that was the Evanston Land Use Commission meetings. Amazing. So so where where do we stand? I mean, they approved like so they said, go ahead and build the stadium, but don't don't have concerts. Is that is that where we are? Where That's where we're at. Like what? What even came out of that? I, I, I just don't even let know. Let me be honest. Those meetings mean absolutely nothing. At the end of the day, those 20 hours that we all wasted collectively meant nothing. The Land Use Commission can only give recommendations to the city council. So they recommended that they build the stadium, but they also recommended that they don't change the zoning amendment that would allow for Ryan Field to become a commercial use and for concerts. Now, Northwestern COL Luke Figueroa, which, by the way, why is a university have a chief operating officer? It feels like a made-up position. Anyway. So All positions are made-up positions. You'll fair. learn that. But they, Northwestern has now said if they don't get the $2.5 to $3 million from concerts each year, they're not going to build the stadium, which was kind of laughed at by all the commissioners. So Yeah, that's kind of, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, but that's what – so now it goes to city council – and city council can pretty much do whatever they want. City council can either city council can approve the stadium and approve the concerts, can approve neither, can approve one, not the other. They can do whatever they want. So it comes down to what city council wants to do, which is still up in the air. What do we have a timetable? Like, do we know like like when like if the land use commission's done, like when the next meeting is, like how this is gonna play out? So Northwestern had originally intended for city council to vote October 27th. That feels unlikely is the nicest way I could say it. 
Um, no, they do city council meets again November thirteenth. That would be my best guess of when this is taken up because Northwestern still wants to tear down the stadium at the conclusion of the twenty twenty three season. So it's a tight time frame for all this to get done. So I would expect a resolution within the next month or two. But to be honest, this whole project is a complete mess right now. So what happens is still up in the air. November 19th would be the day that um, they, they have circled in red. Did, I mean, it, it all just remains amazing to me where the, I mean, because, I mean, one of the people, one of the, the members of the land use commission in the part that I watched, like said pretty much straight up, like, well, you know, these timetables, there's no way you're going to be doing like demolition in the middle of the winter and stuff like that. And I, I was like, is there not? I I honestly have no idea. I just know that we've been told these timetables based on, you know, starting in December and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it all seems incredibly unsettled. But yeah, but they also the land use commissioners also suggested building a parking garage on the Ryan Field property, that, which I'm sure would go over so well with the neighbors. That was amazing to watch that there was one land use commission who was really driving that home after the parade of people we had watched talking about hating this construction project. Yes, the idea that they would all magically be in favor of an elevated parking garage just kind of blew me away. But in any case, thank you. Thank you for your service, David. <laughs> thank, thank you to you guys. If it wasn't, I don't know who, if it was not for you and my dad, I don't know if I would have made it through those meetings. They were, they were something. But hey, we're not done yet. Now city council. This could get real fun. And I'm sure there'll be a lawsuit to it from one of these community groups. We're just getting started out here. <laughs> I mean, is there any way to like take the temperature, you know, read the tea leaves on this? I mean, like, are we looking at a new stadium at the end of the day? It seems like just, you know, are, are is this all just like a, a parade of nonsense before we eventually just get to a new stadium? I would say that's my understanding of it, of course, from a very external outsider perspective, nowhere near the level of nuance that David has or has the level of time he's spent way too much uh, worried about this issue. But I feel like there are just way too many power brokers with something to lose here if the stadium is not built. Of course, Pat Ryan donating $480 million largely for that stadium. Of course, basically all of Northwestern's uh, athletic leadership wanting this to be built. I think from a community standpoint, a Northwestern community standpoint, and faculty in particular, it's a lot more divided. Of course, I think it was 260 plus faculty wrote a letter, and a public letter to the, in the Daily Northwestern, basically um, indicating that they did not want the stadium progress project to continue because of the state of the football team. And I feel like it's worthwhile to evaluate if a lot of those faculty still feel the same. But of course, it's probably ulterior motives that they're not happy that football is getting the funding and their their departments are not. Um, so I don't know. I still feel like this is all kind of just a big charade and it's very unlikely that Northwestern does not build the new stadium, despite Evanston being a unique community, uh, to say the least. And I would still personally be very surprised if this whole thing fell through. Yeah. Like the, the way I, the way I see it, and again, you know, sitting from here on my couch, it's like Northwestern is going to end up just like cutting a check to the city of Evanston for some amount of money and, until we can just get to the point where we negotiate how many zeros are going to go at the end of this check, it's all just a waste of everyone's time. 
Yeah, you're Sam. You hit it on the head. It's going to be Northwestern will cut a community benefits agreement with the with city council, and city council will get it done. There's too there's way too much money on the line on both of these ends. And let's be honest, Northwestern is the main player in Evanston. When when students were off campus during the months of COVID, you saw downtown Evanston really suffer. So Evanston's not in the business of pissing off its number one consumer. Um, this is not talking from any sources or knowing how city council is going to vote. But to me, at the end of the day, they get it done. They just do. There's too much on the line for both sides here to really screw it up. And yes, the members of the community are mad. But also, I think it's really important to know that the Evanston Land Use Commission is not voted on by anybody. It is just a group of volunteers who agreed to do it. So how much does city council really take into account what nine people had to say on it who are not elected representatives? I don't know. There was also on that city council, I would say maybe one of those nine of the land use commission were under the age of 40. So it's just a di- it was a demographic that there. Really- yeah, there are other demographic differences as well relative yes. to. Yeah. So um, I just I have a hard time believing that city council will take exactly what the land use commission said and just take it as what they're going to do. All right, well, we'll keep it. I mean, I'm guessing. So, again, just thinking thinking through all this, you know, they if something gets done by mid if like they get approval by mid November. There has to be like everything being put into place behind the scenes, right? Yeah, permits they, are being acquired, all this stuff that would be okay. necessary. Yeah. So like you get approval and like shovels in the ground like the next day. You're yeah, you, you're looking imagine, at like right? you're looking at like November nineteenth against Purdue. People are storming the field and taking the goalpost with them type of behavior. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They tried I, that I mean, before. This is where, like, I like I I agree with the 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 fact that the land use commission is vir- virtually useless and ineffectual. But the the fact that they voted unanimously to tear down the stadium, I think that's going to happen. The debate about what the stadium can and cannot be used for that that's going to continue. And I I I think I think Northwestern will ultimately prevail for a lot of the reasons that y'all have have laid out. I also think there's there's probably a, a certain point at which Northwest is like, well, we, we can do what we want <laughs> um, as long as they're not violating, you know, like certain, you know, times a day, et cetera. So um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, like the, the idea that that construction is not going to happen seems very, very unlikely. And, but, but I also agree, this is probably going to be a long protracted, protracted discussion about what can and cannot happen. Yeah. Northwestern before COVID hit in 2019 got a permission from, the city of Evanston to have a trial run for concerts um, for concerts at Ryan field. Now they never got to use it because of COVID. It wouldn't surprise me if Northwestern cuts a similar deal where they get like a two year trial period and then they can go back and like discuss the text amendment or something. Um, So at the end of the day, they get it done is my like really key belief on it. When it's nine Oh to build a new stadium, everyone's on the same page. Yeah. It's, the, okay. I think what well, the Land Use Commission pretty much called the new Ryan Field a hellhole. Like, I mean, the old Ryan Field, the current one, a hellhole. Like, everyone knows it badly needs an upgrade. And I think that the city of Evanston, truthfully, will take the tax income that Northwestern's promising and all this other stuff 
and just say okay. I think that it may, may piss off some neighbors, but at the end of the day, they want to help grow the economy of Evanston. So that's that will be what happens. Hey, R- Wrigley Field got done. Talk, if you, I if, you, if you have to sit through a land use commission meeting again, <laughs> <laughs> I was just say R- Wrigley Field got done, and like that's like as crazy as Evanston is, that was a far more fraught situation from a from a neighbor, you know, alderman. Um, neighborhood perspective than uh than than what northern evanston can muster yeah it's true hey so have you well real quick have you heard any scuttlebutt on where the team might be playing for the next couple years i mean that's got to be something in development i think our understanding has been either through on record conversations with previous coaching has been that it very likely would be a combination of wrigley and soldier field uh, which I guess would happen for at least the next two seasons. I don't really see another better path forward, assuming the stadium is under construction. You can't play in a high school stadium, although some would contend that Ryan Field wasn't radically different <laughs> from a high school stadium as it existed. I feel like my high school stadium... Scuzz used, used to live in, in the Dallas area, and that would definitely oh, yeah. be true. Oh, no, high school stadiums in He's Dallas. Small, are, are small Dallas. for a high school stadium, yeah. Yeah, so Leah Leah Simacopolis territory, right? Yes, exactly. But I don't. It's not practical for Northwestern to play in Champaign, for example, when Illinois is on the road. Um, Or I mean, there aren't really any local Chicago area colleges where Northwestern could play and use its facilities. So I think it's it's just going to be kind of this Wrigley game coming up on November fourth against Iowa is probably a trial run for everybody involved for game day operations, for fans, for coaches, for players. Of all right, this is what it's going to be for the next few years, assuming that the project is indeed moving forward. So September's and October's at Soldier, and then November's at Wrigley, kind of thing. Probably something like that, David. Anything else? No, I think Brad, you got it on the head. Um, yeah, I think it'll be Soldier at Wrigley. We we'll see. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, again, it, it takes a little of the shine off of like the one-offness of Wrigley. Like it's like this Iowa game, you know. Although I'm sure. All the Iowa fans that are going to be packing that place would hey, disagree. The, the Cubs may score more, may have scored more runs in the month of October <laughs> than either team will score in that game. Yeah, good point. Mm. Um, so one, I don't, other... I don't mean to be a salty alum, but um, the 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 shine uh, on the Wrigley penny came off the very first time we played there. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> hey, I'll never forget Venrick Marks Last first. Mar- Venrick Mark's first marquee punt return happened at that game. That's all I choose to remember about that one. Um, but so, hey, one other thing we wanted to talk with you guys, because we knew you guys were both going to be coming on. And I think Sam and I were specifically thinking about this because it goes back to something that we brought up weeks ago on the pod, which is our experience, that glorious night of the Minnesota game. But our experience following the conclusion of that game, one of the things that happened was we were down celebrating at the entrance to the locker room with all the family and, you know, the the parents of the players and everything and just being a part of that whole thing. And you two guys went whipping by us. I doubt you guys <laughs> even noticed that we were there. You were moving hey, so fast. Hey, sick, ho- sick hockey jerseys. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Well, that we, yeah, that's – we didn't have them on that night, I don't think, because it was still – maybe I'm wrong. No, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we did have yeah. hockey jerseys on. You have them on because I ran by you. Yeah, but as I sprinted right by you. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that being a microcosm of the fact that 
we keep referring to you guys as co-editors-in-chief with Iggy Dowling of Inside NU, but that is just one of the many hats that you guys wear. You guys are WNUR guys, you're NNN. Um, is there anything else that I'm forgetting? Um, Phil, Phil. Yeah, I do, I do more of the sports division of NNN. David's more of the hands-on attending events to film type of, type of it, but... Yeah, so I mean, you guys are wearing all these different hats and it's... It just goes to show, I mean, you guys are really plugged in with, with this team and from a couple of different directions. But one of the things that, so for example, you guys just did a mailbag for Inside NU and the flavor of some of the questions is similar to some of the stuff we asked you guys off the top, which was like, hey, so take the take the temperature on campus, right? Um, and hey, like it was funny, like some people are even asking like, hey, what's what are the best dining halls right now? And things like that, like <laughs> stuff that, Always yeah. but but stuff that one would ask of a student journalist, right? Like a sports writer. But the thing is, when you guys are in these press conferences, there's not like a bunch of trib and sometimes people like they're in, in our community. It's kind of like you guys and Matt Shelton uh, for, for Wildcat Report, like you guys are the boots on the ground. There is no cigar chomping professional reporter flanking you guys doing all this stuff. And I'm, I wanted to talk with you guys and ask you guys a little about like, what is it like being so knee deep from multiple directions of this beat when you guys effectively are the journalists of record on this beat? Like, how does that experience compare to, you know, someone at, I don't know, Ohio State, where there are like 10 professional journalists jockeying for position? What is that like? What is this experience like for you guys? I guess I can take it um, from the start. I think it's just been really formative for me, knowing that I have every opportunity that any other writer could hope to have at any other beat, um, getting to access free press conference every game um basically that no question is is totally off limits if there's something i want to ask coach braun i i mean i feel like i have the rapport with zach wingrove the sid as long as it's not a totally nonsensical or out of bounds question to to have the authorities to be able to ask that question and i think also it is kind of is demonstrated by the northwestern student athletes who who definitely recognize us a little bit i, I know there was a time i think it was after the minnesota game we were out at Bob's, the restaurant, and uh, a few of the players came up and kind of, kind of said hi to us and recognized us a little bit. So oh, they did a little it, bit more than say hi to us. <laughs> Fred yeah. came over and got Brad up, put him in a little headlock. Yeah, that was that was a fun time. Um, but no, I mean, it, it means a lot that obviously you guys follow our work so closely that we're just trying to do the best job we can as students. And believe me, there, there. If we didn't have classwork and all these other clubs and responsibilities, we would probably be pouring in even more effort to. Uh, making the coverage the best that it can be. But in terms of not really having authority figures, I mean, on game days, I think there are definitely more. There's Andy Stalkman of the AP, who's been a pretty consistent face in the press box this year. Of course, Louis Bacare, Wildcat Report, um, even Adam Rittenberg, Matt Fortuna. Those types of guys have definitely been helpful. And I think um, leaning on them a lot during the summer and, and the hazing, and that was a very unfamiliar territory for all of us, not only the timing of it, but the gravity of it. So those those reporters, I don't want to discount how busy they are and uh, how how much they've definitely helped. Even a guy like Dave Bennett has been a really friendly face and um, always been been around for any types of questions or consultations. So, um, but it is kind of weird thinking that it's a Power Five Big Ten team and students are the ones responsible for driving most of the coverage. 
Yeah, I think I want, like, I think the story I always like to tell is when Brad and I, we, like, we were close, but not as close as we are now. We went up to Wisconsin last year for when Northwestern played uh, Wisconsin in basketball. And it was a room full of, like, professional journalists from all over the country. And then when Chris Collins got up on the podium, the only people representing Northwestern there really were Brad and myself. And Collins noticed us and... I Chris Collins now comes up to Brad and I every time he sees us and goes, "What's up, boys? How we do?" Like, it's we built these rapports with these coaches, these students, these all these different players. We're like, they're not we're not just these random faces that they only see at a press conference, which I think is really cool. Like today, I saw Sienna Normier, one of Northwestern volleyballs player, just walking across campus. We stopped and had a quick conversation. And it's just it's nice that they know that we care about them in terms of athletes and what they do. And I think that's really awesome. I think um, last year after Northwestern softball lost in the Super Regional, Kate Drohan came over to myself and Ethan Siegel, one of our managing editors, and hugged us and thanked us for covering the team. It's a really cool experience that you can't really get anywhere else. But I also want to shout out our guys, Alex Cervantes and Lawrence Price over at the Daily too, because they they work their tails off. Alex is one of my best friends. We're in the same fraternity. He works his tail off being the sports editor being the sports editor, covering every sport. So, like, it's cool. This community itself is also tight-knit because we understand, hey, we're all they got and we're all we got each other. So it's a really cool environment to be in. Real quick before we let you go, I mean, we've, we've been talking a lot of football, but there are some other amazing Northwestern sports going on right now and uh, something kind of real big coming down the pike. Uh, can you just take us quickly through some of the other fall sports that you guys are seeing? Obviously, Field hockey, number one in the country. I mean, in soccer, both men's and women's are having pretty decent seasons, right? Yeah, I mean, starting, have to start with field hockey. It's been just an incredible season. And I think I was a little curious to see how Tracy Fuchs' team was going to respond after losing not only Bense Bakers, who was basically the focal point of Northwestern's offensive attack the last few years moving on and even know Maddie Zimmer who I believe is training for the Olympics she hasn't played the whole season but it's kind of been a motley crew of young players uh, Olivia Ben Cole kind of headlining them who have really stepped up this year and made Northwestern a really diverse versatile operation on all fronts and I think I'm really intrigued to see how that plays out as the season goes along uh, especially in the postseason where I feel like it's pretty applicable to any sport where just having more postseason experience can only be a good thing. But this Northwestern field hockey team has just answered every question that has really been thrown its way so far. And I wouldn't be surprised if this team didn't lose again the rest of the season. I don't want to jinx this team because, of course, it could happen. But the, the composure and just really dominance this team has showed has been absolutely remarkable. Yeah, I think Brad Nell on that field hockey is just awesome to watch. After losing the opening game to Louisville, um, a really good ACC team. They have they've won 13 straight. Like just pure dollars from Tracy Fuchs's squad. It's also the exact same um blueprint that Northwestern's women lacrosse had last last spring on their way to a national championship. So maybe that bodes well for this for this version of Cats as well. But around there, men's soccer is playing really good soccer. Um, you can read about it from John Olson on Inside New Loves a 3,000 word breakdown on one game. Um, but they're ranked in the top 15 <laughs> right now. Um, women's soccer struggled a little bit. It had a had a dip in the middle, but they're starting to figure it out. They just drew number four Penn State two to two yesterday. And Northwestern yeah. volleyball is had a slow start. Is only I think nine and eight, maybe nine and nine. But 
has really picked it up this past week, upsetting number seven, number 17 Purdue, coming back home and defeating Maryland, and dropping one in a heartbreaker yesterday in five sets to number 24 Minnesota. So Shane Davis' squad looks good, looking to get that at-large bid to um, the NCAA tournament. Uh, speaking of NCAA tournament, um, basketball is on the horizon. Uh, obviously, coming off last season, you're just a, a, a unbelievable season. And if you haven't watched the uh, documentary that has come out on the basketball team, stop what you're doing right now and go watch it because, oh my God, just incredible. Talk, talk to us, like, give us a, a primer on this basketball team coming up. Uh, sure. So Dave and I were both there uh, last Wednesday, I believe it was, for the Chicago Media Land uh, tip-off. And it was kind of the first real opportunity we've had to ask Coach Collins and some of the players get their sense of, of where this team is right now. And I think it's very clear expectations are really high for this group. And we got to ask Collins about that and uh, kind of what he learned from 2017-18, which was a very disappointing year all around on the heels of making the first tournament and bringing back a lot of the core players. But I think Collins understands he needs to adjust his coaching style a little bit. It seems like he has. Um, I think most people figure this group should be better offensively. I think it was the Ken Palm rankings came out in the last few days and Northwestern's offensive projected Ken Palm ranking was way higher than last year, but the defense could be a little worse. I think a guy like Ryan Langwork from Princeton is going to become a pretty instant fan favorite with his three pointing three point shooting, his uh, playmaking ability. And of course he was just unreal in, in March madness in the sweet 16 round of 32. Um, and that says something about the quality of player that he is. And we'll have more on him uh, in the next few weeks, but even a guy like Justin Mullins, the fact that he's coming off the bench for Northwestern after starting for Denver and uh, Coach Collins kind of compared him to a young Chase Audis with his athleticism and defensive prowess. I think Northwestern might be a little bit of a deeper team this year, even with a guy like Luke Hunger coming back from injury, Nick Martinelli off the bench. I think it's just going to be kind of, does this team have the size to compete with a guy like Zach Eady? It might be a bit of a smaller lineup at Brooks Barnheiser starting at the four and how well does Matt Nicholson um, continue to grow in his second year of starting? Those are some of the bigger questions, but I, I'm really excited as I'm sure all you guys are and all your listeners are for the season. And I think it's going to be a, just a, a great atmosphere in Welsh Ryan almost every night. And I think this team is going to be really good finishing the top five or six in the conference. And the temperature. So the, you, you guys mentioned it right off the top, but the temperature on campus relative to this team, would you say I mean, like, how is that represented? Like, like you know, we talk about this excitement that that obviously everyone's stirred up, everyone's thinking heading to the season. Like, how is how is that represented? How are you guys feeling that? Yeah, I mean, it's in this new ticket point system that Northwestern um, has started. You have to go to different sports games to get your points for men's basketball because they expect such a high demand of tickets from students. And it's awesome to see... Um, I know some people have qualms with the system, but it's awesome to see some of these other sports get the attention they deserve be because people want in their men's basketball tickets. So men's basketball is so highly anticipated that people are now spending their downtime going to other sports just to secure their tickets. So I think if you want to look at the way that this team is viewed on campus, it's that. Can you put in a nutshell what this new point system is? Yeah, so effectively the way it works is students aggregate points by going to certain sporting events. So I think it's women's basketball games are five, which is the most you can earn, but some events are boosted. So I think the volleyball game against Wisconsin a few weeks ago was quote unquote boosted. So I think it was worth eight points. And 
I think there are some inherent flaws to the system. One of them is that how do you actually give people points? Because you can get the points and leave a game, which some people have been doing. Of course, it's discouraged and kind of uh, runs antithetical to the whole system, which is to increase attendance at all sporting events in Northwestern for a myriad of really good teams. And then you get rewarded by having an earlier claim window for men's basketball. Um, and I think overall, it's probably been pretty good. I think attendance has been strong in a lot of events, particularly volleyball, which has set attendance records in the first few weeks of students being on campus. But I think I wouldn't be surprised if there were some controversy as these men's basketball ticket windows start to open and students feel like, oh, I went to every volleyball game. Why am I not getting rewarded um, with with priority ticketing? Why am I not getting a ticket to these games when everybody had a chance to get them last year? I think this is a step up for sure from uh, the kind of disaster that was the, the system last year where we just crashed because there were so many people on the site. But I also don't think this is the final version and Greg kind of indicated that us that to us as well, too. Have they yeah, increased so, student capacity from last year? Because that that felt like one of the biggest problems last year is that there like they just weren't earmarking enough seats for students, and then other seats would be empty or going to the opposing team. Like has that changed at all? Yeah. So they have now those complete the bleachers on each side underneath the baskets have been sold in the past are now completely only for students. Awesome. And there has been talk about those upper tier right above the student section also being demarcated as student only. That that will come based on whether or not Northwestern determines they need those. That will probably be a decision made in January about conference games because they're they're not expecting non-conference games to sell out against like Binghamton and other teams. Like that Detroit makes sense. Mercy. Um, I would say, though, I'm definitely really eager to see. I think that's going to be basically a full house in the student section every single night. I mean, that's how good this team is expected to be and how much of a mark it's left on on the community and the student fan base. People were waiting literally hours in line last year to only get turned away. So I think people recognize that they did not kind of recognize how good this team was last year early enough. And as a result, they are not going to be shy in trying to show their support. And Collins kind of underscored that point to us that he said, hey, you guys, you as fans did a phenomenal job in conference play, but we want this to be a tough environment every single night. So almost testing uh, the patience of fans of, oh, Northwestern's up 50 points on Western Michigan, uh, still staying through to the end. And I think the fans are going to respond pretty well. And and as I said, I think it's going to be basically full the, almost every single game of the year. Yeah, this is going to be as 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 long as we don't have to be ticket brokers anymore. <laughs> I think that well, I, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be really interesting for a specific reason. We talked a lot about it last last year on the pod, and that is that in that magical 2017 year where they finally broke through and went to the NCAA tournament, like you did not see this type of turnout during the course of the year from from students from fans. I I. I the final Sunday when they played, or maybe it wasn't the final Sunday, but they played Purdue, who was highly rated. It was on CBS. They ended up losing, but it was kind of like a celebration of where Northwestern had gotten to. It was, it was post the, the Michigan game. After the Michigan game, yeah. And like, that was a, a crazy sellout. But, like, you never, ever saw anything close to the demand from last year. And then, of course, the year after the NCAA tournament appearance in 2017, they were playing at Allstate Arena as the stadium was being rebuilt. So this is truly truly new territory for northwestern and northwestern basketball and i'm i i have to say i'm i'm extremely um happy to hear the news that, that they've they've earmarked more capacity for students that's like like 
the most obvious number one thing for all you students listening, like go take advantage of it. It sounds like people already are, are banking as many points as they can and are, and are you know, like, but if, if there's a bad loss, like don't get, don't get discouraged. Like much like we've talked about with this football team this year, ride the wave. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to be part of it. And um, gosh, it's just, it's really, it's really exciting to to just think about the permutations here and how this is going to play out. Yeah, I think it's going to be, uh, Brad and I have already marked our calendars for some road trips this year that I'm really excited about. Um, going to head to Bloomington, to to West Lafayette, always back to Madison. So it's just going to be like, I think that it's just going to be fun. There's one last year of Boo Booey here. It's just going to be a good time. I think Brooks Barnheiser is about to take a massive leap forward. So this Northwestern team could be in the top five in the conference again. It wouldn't surprise me. I think I'm also really excited to see how this team kind of answers the questions of, oh, well, of course, the Northwestern never made the tournament in consecutive years. And some people are already forecasting a little bit of regression to the mean of, oh, maybe Northwestern got a little lucky last year or outplayed the talent on its roster. But I think the the most of the core of last year's teams coming back really minus Chase Audige and bringing a guy like Ty Berry back. He's kind of been up and down as a player. His defense improved in strides last year. Maybe he can start to become a more consistent offensive threat. It was just kind of, I was rereading some of the coverage of, of last year's season as I was watching the documentary. And I thought to myself, man, Northwestern never really had two scorers at once that were actually in control of a game that intimidated defenses. And I feel like there are a lot of good options this year that are going to be more consistent from the start of the year, whether it's Bowie, Barnheiser, Langborg, Barry. Um, I think this Northwestern offense could be really exciting. So great and, to hear. And man, we'll just... We're just going to roll this Big Ten West title that's coming right into basketball season. It's going to be amazing. I, I, John, I have already talked about it. Like, there is such a weird chance that this this back half of the season gets so strange and it happens. I think it would just be the most hilarious thing to ever – like, for a Northwestern, it's the most Northwestern thing to happen. They face all backup quarterbacks to close the season and somehow win the Big Ten West. Hey, that what like you said off the top, what a what a better big it, there's no better Big Ten West way for the Big Ten West to end than for that to happen. So from your lips yeah, to God's to get ears. Absolutely massacred by either Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State in Indianapolis would be a nice send off to that division. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Twenty four hours of Purdue home opener, Big Ten home opener to Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship would be the most electric twenty four hours of my life. <laughs> Um, before we take up, uh, your entire evening, uh, anything else you guys want to touch on before we let you go? Congrats to Kate Drohan on her contract extension. Really happy for her. She's earned every, every penny that she's made from Northwestern. That team is awesome. Yeah, for sure. That was really exciting to see. And also exciting to hear from Dr. Greg. He told us that, um, softball facility the J is hoping to be renovated soon so um, we're eager to continue to follow that situation i don't think anything is imminent per se but greg said they they do want to make sure it it does move along it sounds like it's in the initial stages but that's fun i think i would say i'm just really glad that the state of northwestern athletics is in a significantly better spot than it was uh the last two to three months where it was oh what negative headline is going to be generated what horrifying detail is going to emerge at this minute of the day and i think it was it really took its toll on everybody involved whether those covering those just trying to keep up with the news student athletes administration and i'm just glad that in of course it, it can't erase the the damage that has been done and 
uh, the reckoning that will still follow in the in the upcoming years with more suits being settled and all that having to be resolved. But I, I'm glad that in a lot of ways Northwestern has started to turn the corner and this year has definitely felt, I would say, more normal per se than I had envisioned going in. And I'm, I'm happier for that. Awesome. Well, guys, we really do appreciate you guys taking the time. Uh, InsideNU.com, where else can people find your work? I mean, just on, on Twitter, I, I definitely post as much as I realistically can there. Uh, but I feel like, yeah, your listeners are probably familiar with my Twitter feed already. Already, So if you if you want to watch if you want to look at Brad complain about Matt Canada's play calling you can follow him on Twitter. If you want to <laughs> you want to read about memes about the Land Use Commission, follow me on Twitter at David Gold INU. And also if you're in, if you have a fantasy football league and if you're ever stuck for a punishment, send someone to a redic- to a rezoning um meeting. No, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that's <laughs> terrible. Last in your last in your league, 5 hours of the Land Use Commission. Exactly. I will throw out one more crazy stat that you can also, this is the type of thing I would post on my Twitter. So Xander Mueller has three and a half sacks, seven tackles for loss, and one interception. He's one of two players in all the power five to have those statistical benchmarks. The only other one is Laitu Latu from UCLA, who is probably going to be a top 15, 20 pick in the draft this year, which is like, I, when I was doing that research, I think it was last Thursday as we recorded Pound the Talk, I thought, this is an insane stat. I don't I don't really know how this happened, but I'm glad that it did for Xander. So. And after awesome to see couple- two Big Ten, awesome to see two big, big Ten guys on the top of that <laughs> yeah, list. That's right. really cool. And after he stacks up a couple TFLs, a couple sacks, maybe a couple picks against Nebraska, He'll he'll be that much more on a roll, that much more in a yeah. class by himself. Look out for tales from the road on our 16-hour journey, Brad, Bradley, myself, Iggy, and Gavin, all in one car, me behind the wheel. <laughs> it's gonna be so much fun. Awesome. Well, uh, Bradley Locker, David Gold, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it, and we will definitely be seeing you around the tailgates. Absolutely. Always love you guys seeing your work and seeing you guys around as friendly faces means a lot. And thanks again for always supporting us and all the work that we do. Yeah, you guys are the absolute best. Not a better tailgate I love more. There's an iconic photo of me now in my wild in my Northwestern overalls with the pirate flag underneath. So big holy shout out to the Westlaw Pirates. My parents had a great time at the tailgate. So go find them under the pirate flag if you are coming to Ryan Field. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation and go Cats. Well, once again, uh, Bradley Locker, David Gold, Inside NU, NNN, WNUR, all over the place. Um, really appreciate them jumping on with us. Uh, it's been a long one. Um, we'll, we'll let you go. Obviously, there's some really, really big games around uh, the Big Ten this week. Um, Ohio State, Penn State kind of on, on top of the the boards, but you know, I'm always down for a thrashing of Nebraska. So that that's kind of uh, hopefully we can get. Hopefully, I can get the personal a uh, double whammy 
with a Colorado win and a Northwestern win so against Nebraska. So that would just make me a happy camper on Saturday. So uh, yeah, this, anything else to mention before we get out of here? I mean, this is the start. I mean, this team, all their credit, and like we were saying, despite all the stats, despite all the warts of this team, it, the fact remains this team's exceeded expectations. They're playing with a little bit of magic, and why not? Why not let that continue? Why not see them go into Lincoln and uh, and put another special memory on what's already been a season that's defied the odds a little bit? No matter what, I think it's going to be a um, I think it's going to be a battle. I you know um, I, I don't I don't I don't know who thinks Nebraska can score enough points to beat anybody by twelve or thirteen. Um, that seems preposterous to me. I am, uh, I am of course biased, but um, we'll see. I, I think it's going to be uh, 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 another classic tilt in the NU Nebraska, you know, pantheon, as as has been the case since 2011 when they joined the conference. And um, hopefully, we'll come out on top. Yeah, sadly, Scott Frost isn't there this year. Um, Would have been all fun to just whip him one more time. Uh, but in any case, um, we'll leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlawpirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the west side of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John McComb and Eric Scasby, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.